0: Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the
1: stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis, and today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday, and we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, January sixth. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and theme week on Industry Focus continues. As we're talking top stocks for 2021, I'm very happy to have with me today the Vice President of Motley Fool Ventures. And before that, he was researching and picking stocks with us on the investing team here at the Fool. It's Mr. Brendan Matthews. Brendan, how's everything going? Hey, Jason, great. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Glad to have you back. Uh, glad to have you back here on the microphone for a little bit. I always love talking shop with you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, as you know. Uh, this is our theme week for Industry Focus this week as we kick off a new year. Uh, we thought it'd be a fun idea to throw out some top stock ideas for our listeners this week. And uh, this week, today's Wild Card Wednesday show, uh, you know, we can take it really in any direction we want. And, and Brendan, you know, I'm give, I gave you creative freedom carte blanche, as they say, to come in here with whatever idea you wanted. I like the idea you have here for listeners. I don't know a heck of a lot of, uh, about the name here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy learning about it. But why don't you go ahead with the big reveal, what is your top stock here for 2021? My top stock is Workday, Workday W-D-A-Y. Okay. Now, I've heard of this company, and I know that it is a company uh, many of our members are familiar with. Uh, talk a little
0: bit about what Workday does. So, Workday is a cloud, cloud-based software for businesses what they do, they do a few things. The one that they're most known for is human capital management. So um, maybe maybe a, a little bit of a digression here on um, what what software is for big companies. So if, unless you've worked for a really big company, it's sort of hard to conceptualize all the software that goes into keeping track of what's going on at a big company. So that, that typically falls into the, the umbrella of ERP or enterprise resource planning. So in the you know, 90s, 2000, that was a big piece of package software you would put on your servers and it covers various functional areas. So one would be keeping track of your employees, keeping track of your customers, keep, keeping track of your finance and accounting, keeping track of products, inventory, That the whole gamut of things that at a small business might not necessarily seem that complicated, but once you get really big, it's hard to keep track of all that software. So... What what Workday does is they do that in the cloud. Uh, they they started focused on human capital management, so basically keeping a list of who your employees are. Now you might say, oh, that sounds pretty simple. But then say, <laughs> okay, well, you've got two hundred thousand employees. You got to know everyone's address. You got to know who their manager is, how much they get paid, if their salary changes or their address changes, or they shift to a different job, or you hire or fire people. It starts to get Pretty pretty complicated. Um, so, so that's that's where Workday started. They've since expanded on that. Uh, they offer a, a financials package. They offer a a procurement solution, a um, a planning solution, but it's all it's all in the cloud. It's all in the cloud, like most things these days. So I mean, does this qualify
1: as a SaaS business, right? I mean, that's really that that was the that that was what drove really 2020. I think for a lot of investors was that that SaaS business model and all of these businesses now figuring out ways to be something as a service. It sounds like this is at least something
0: similar to that model. Is that right? This is absolutely a SaaS company. This is yep. um, this is one of the OGs of <laughs> of SaaS businesses. So I think think thinking back to like the 2000s when people used to have software installed on machines and they would pay a license. The the one company that that broke out. Um, and is, is still the king snake today as Salesforce. Oh, yeah. So they, they they do a bunch of things, but it started out managing your, your customer data. Um, Workday, same thing, but instead of managing your customer data, they manage your employee data. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I mean, with, with
1: SaaS business, I mean, that's the beauty of that is a subscription. Now, I know that sometimes, I mean, there can, there can be longer term contracts that get locked in. This does seem to me like a business where once you sign up with, a provider, you probably are looking to stick with them for a while. I mean, switching from workday to another provider to then another provider, I mean, that doesn't really seem ideal. So I, I would imagine as as time goes on, I mean, assuming workday is doing a, a good job, I mean, there there probably are some switching costs here that, that come into play as time goes on.
0: Yeah. So enterprise sales, enterprise software, especially when selling to the really big companies tends to be very, very sticky. So Workday will typically sign three to five year contracts, but their renewal is their, their gross retention is in excess of 95%. Their net retention is is over hundred percent. So, so they get more money from existing customers every year than than they lose. And it's just, it's so difficult. If you, if you, it takes years to, um, sort of choose implement one of these big software packages and flipping it out is is a huge potential source of effort, but then also business disruption. So, yeah, it, it is super sticky, and that's one of the things I, I really like about it. Um, my as I was thinking about okay, what's what's my stop top stock for 2021? Of course, I'm I'm attracted to the the things that I deal with on a, on a day to day basis that are really growing at huge multiples, but I think where we are with the market and with uncertainty around COVID, I, I wanted something safe. Yeah. And, and you might say, okay, well, what's safe about a money losing software company that trades <laughs> it in excess of 10 times sales? Well, that's, that's what I'm hoping to unpack today. <laughs> 10 times, 10 times sales is cheap in this environment, man. It's cheap. Well, well I mean, if you've got uh, <laughs> zoom is 52. So I guess if that's your comparison, yeah, it's cheap.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and I, I like also looking uh, something. Aaron Bush and I talked about a lot uh, over over the last several months before before we left HQ um, because it, so many businesses these days are still on that path of profitability. They haven't quite gotten there. Price to sales, obviously, a very popular metric. Um, I mean, another interesting one that just kind of I think adds a little bit of context that I like looking at. And Aaron was the one that introduced me to this idea. Was looking at something like price to gross profit. Um, mm-hmm. and it just I, I think you know what you love to find those businesses that just bring in those really healthy gross margins. in, in looking at workday, I mean, that's one thing I see here is this is not only they not only do they have nice robust gross margins, but those margin that gross margin is is continuing to grow here over time. Man, I go back to 2016, I see gross margin around 67.6 percent. Uh this last 12 months, they're reporting. Seventy-two point three percent. So I feel like maybe you've got a situation here where you talk about switching costs and you talk about uh, something where they're rolling out. uh, I I think something is what they're doing is not easy. Uh, Probably some pricing power they can exercise with that model through time as well, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've seen them um, so continue to kind of expand with current customers. I I think they, they definitely have pricing power. They definitely have great margins. I mean, the costs are um, a lot of the costs are up front to, to acquire customers. Um, There's ongoing development of the software, but a lot of that is part of it is, is maintenance and new features on the existing software, but a lot of it is, is funding um, new areas. So they're constantly going into new areas, developing new products. And so that's, that's sort of growth. One thing that's, that's interesting is, um, I definitely like looking at, it's interesting that, um, you and Aaron talked about that. I definitely like looking at, uh, sort of your market cap to gross profit. It's, it's really helpful actually in the venture space because we never see a company that is profitable. So yeah, <laughs> I can imagine you, you, you can never look at, you know, things that we might look at like price earnings or price to EBITDA just go right out the window, but looking at, um, Gross margin is, is a good indicator of, of future. And if you're a software business that's got 80, 90% gross margins, you definitely it just makes sense to trade at a, a higher uh, multiple of sales because you think, okay, in the long run, you're gonna have high operating margins, not like the 10% that's average for the SP. You're gonna have 20, 30% operating margins.
1: Yeah. And I feel like I'm glad that you mentioned Salesforce earlier on because I, when I first started looking at this uh, at this company, that was the first. Business that came to mind really was Salesforce. I mean, very mm-hmm. similar. I mean, tackling a different, um, a, a different need, so to speak. Um, but, but I mean, you look at Salesforce today. Salesforce is essentially four times the size of Warby. Right. So, I think just gives you an idea of these businesses that invest a lot up front. I mean, if they're doing something. If- they're doing something right that can really pay off over time. It certainly seems like it's paying off for Workday shareholders so far. Uh, who are their customers? I mean, are these just are their customers just big enterprises like Travelers Insurance or Bank of America size companies, or are they they running running the gamut of of, of size, so to speak? I mean, are they are they covering any small
0: business customers? They they do not do no small okay. business customers. They do they do big and super big. Yeah, so <laughs> of, of the of the Fortune 50, I think they have 60% of those. Nice. And of the Fortune 500, they have 40%. Um, so, and, and that's one of the things that I think makes them interesting. So, these these big customers are lucrative, they sign big deals for a lot of money, they're hard to serve. There's not many other people who could do it. Um, a couple examples of, of recent customers. So, Walmart, 1.3%. Uh, 7 million employees in the workday system wow. as f- at, at, I think that's the largest cloud-based um, human capital management system in the world. Um, but then there's, there's other, there's other big ones like Accenture, uh, half a million employees, and then other big companies like GE is a good example, progressive insurance. So it's, it's really up there with these really, really big, um, big companies. They have a few smaller companies, um, Medium-sized companies, a lot of those have sort of been brought on as they made acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So they acquired a company a couple of years ago called Adaptive Insights, which is a, a planning company. They brought on some medium-sized customers, but the focus is really like the, the global 1000, the biggest of the big. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Um, Let's talk a little bit about management for a minute here, because that's always at least part of the story here. And uh, you know, you look at a company like Salesforce, for example, and you can see, I mean, part of the success there, of course, is because they do something very well. But I mean, I would argue that uh, a lot of the success also has to do with Mark Benioff and his. uh, his advocacy for the business and for what they do. What do you know about management here? It does look like with work they we do have uh, still involved with the business.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a it's still a founder controlled company. It's actually a, a really interesting story. Um, if you if you track if you're if you're a real uh, nerd for enterprise software, I don't know how many are out there. Aren't we all? If you track the history of this of this stuff a lot of all the roads almost all lead back to to larry ellison which is which is he, he himself is is a character but yeah. um so uh, benioff uh was sort of a, an acolyte of of ellison um the founders of workday before they founded workday they they founded a company called Peoplesoft. it did the okay. same it did the same thing it was human it was, it was keeping track of your employees but it wasn't in the cloud they were acquired by Oracle and, and Larry Ellison in a hostile deal, they uh-huh. did not. They did not want to sell, <laughs> but they they were forced to sell. And so what they did is after they they kind of took some money, they are independently wealthy, and they said, okay, well, what what would we like to do? Let's start the whole thing over, but let's let's build it. Let's build it a, the, the best um, sort of HR system we can, and we'll build it in the cloud. Um, they started in two thousand five. Essentially, took it public in about 2012, um, and it the the founder is a guy named Dave Duffield. He's still pretty much the biggest owner. Um, one of his lieutenants at Peoplesoft also joined him. is now the co-CEO. That's Anil Bussari. Um, together, them and other employees own about 24% of the company, so they still have a lot of skin in the game. Um, Duffield is is the chairman, but still on the board, still the biggest owner. Um, Busari is has recently, um, I guess, sort of taken on a co CEO, but he's still co CEO on the board. Um, they've got a, a good, a really good, like professional management team, people that have been at Workday for a long time at other big companies, and they're also one of those um, great companies to work. So. They, they pride themselves a lot on um, keeping employees happy. Yeah. So they're, they're perennially on the Fortune's um, best places to work list. I think this year they were – I think in the past couple of years they've um, sort of switched between like four or five or six. So they're like considered among the best big companies to work for, which is important because they need to attract um, – Good talent. So, software engineers are in demand, and so by having happy employees, they can retain them, get great people, make r- great products, keep the customers happy, and then keep the shareholders happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, this this seems like such a strong business from so many different angles. Uh, of course, nothing comes risk free, right? Though it, it does feel like the bigger this company gets, the The more investors are able to sort of mitigate that risk, I guess. But what I mean, what are some of the risks or concerns, things that you need to keep an eye on with a business like this, separate from the current environment, right? I mean, understanding that COVID's got everybody uh, running around trying to figure out how to how to sort of change things up, And, and actually, honestly, it kind of feels to me like. Covid might might be an opportunity for a business like this to even really prove its metal, even more so. Uh, but but what would you say? What would you say are some of the risks or concerns investors should should
0: at least keep top of mind? So there's there's two things that concern me. Um, one is just growth is slowing down. So as the company has gotten bigger, its rate of growth has come down. So I think I first started looking at this stock in 2015, 2016. It had about a billion in revenue. Um, This past year, it had about four. It'll have about five next year. But what has happened is this is a company from like 2016 to 2019. We're growing 30 to 40% a year. Um, We're looking at sort of the past year, they grew 21%. The next two or three years, analysts are saying, okay, we'll probably grow 17 to 18%. So still a a, a, a healthy growth rate, but not the astronomical levels that we're, we're used to seeing with some of the other cloud-based companies. And a lot of that just has to do with, okay, you know, I think in this year they're gonna go from four billion to five billion in sales. They'll add a a billion and sa- they'll add a billion in sales. That's only 20, 25% growth. Only oh, yeah, I mean you know when it's... you start getting when you start getting big, you've got to it, it's hard to maintain that um, compound level of growth. But oh, still yeah. growing, still growing um, healthily. But, but just not the same growth that their path that they're on historically. So that, that's one concern, something to keep an eye on. Um, and a good way to keep an eye on that is, is to look at growth in their backlog. So one of the things that they do is they, they track all of the, the money they essentially have under contract for the future. Right now, that's about $9 billion. So revenue in the past uh, year was four to four and a half. So if you think about that, they've got under contract, if they did not sign a single new contract or get a single renewal, they've got two years of revenue, sort of on the books. So that, that's probably one of the things I, I really like about them. Um, mm-hmm. Coming back to another big risk, and this is sort of one of those, it is what it is type of situations. Yeah. But it's a it's a Silicon Valley um, growth stock that issues a lot of stock options. Yeah. So as an investor, when you're modeling this out, you should plan on having some dilution. Uh, in the past... know four or five years shares have gone from 190 million to two hundred and thirty-four. So like a twenty-three percent jump there and and a lot of it is is stock options so you're gonna have a you know two three four five percent kind of leak out to employees every year. It's just is what it is.
1: Yeah, that's that's just kind of the cost of doing business, I think, in many cases with these types of of companies, particularly when they're younger and and really trying to establish their their position. And I, I did, you know, I saw that when I we talk about the business and how it's growing that top line, clearly not yet profitable. I mean, I think that is just a matter of time. You could look at the cash flow statement and say, well, I mean, God, they're bringing in a ton of free cash flow, operating cash flow is better than a billion dollars. But, but then you look at the stock-based compensation and, oh, yeah, okay, let's reassess here because, yeah, that stock-based compensation is up there. But uh, again, I mean, that's something that will we'll come down over time, at least a little bit, and, um, and as the business matures, it, it seems like based on that margin picture, it does. It, it's poised for some very healthy economics down the line as it, as it continues to mature.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't love the current Silicon Valley norms of huge levels of stock-based comp, but, but the truth is it's most annoying when the company is most successful. So, (laughs) you know, if, if the company is doing poorly, um, some people might get their options repriced, but, but a lot of them will expire worthless. Yeah. Um, So it's hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, what I'll see is that, wow, this company did great. Um, there was a a nagging, you know, a little bit of nagging friction that slowed it down with these stock options, but still, the end result to you as a shareholder is, is a great success.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly seems like it's been a great success thus far. I mean, the five year chart there looks like this thing is close to a uh, f- five bagger status or something like that, but. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, any you get a business that's really trying to uh, reshape a space that is so important, so crucial as this, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it, it's 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 a difficult thing to do, particularly when you talk about these big companies, these customers that they serve. So I, I love the idea. I love the pick. It's it's not a business I was as familiar with, but um, I feel a lot more familiar with it now. And, and the the comp to Salesforce. Has me even more intrigued because I've always been a big fan of Salesforce and and what they've done uh, to date. Uh, Brendan, now, given that it's Wild Card Wednesday, normally I was just going to, this was going to be a show I was going to give you a chance, just throw out your top idea for 2021. And we were just going to, you know, then we end the show, right? That would be it. But hey, listen, it's Wild Card Wednesday, Brendan. We're going to wild card this thing. Wild card. Let's wild card it, baby. I'm going to throw you an idea. How about that? Okay. Two ideas. All right. Well, listen. So, Wednesday used to actually be a healthcare show. Back in the day, uh, Wednesday the industry that we covered on, on Industry Focus was healthcare. And uh, it's as as things in life do, they changed and uh, so did our schedule. So so Wildcard Wednesday was born and so we do try to bring in healthcare as much as we can. And we're going to we're going to continue to focus on doing that more here in 2021, but we definitely have a lot of listeners out there that really are clamoring for more uh, healthcare. Uh, just just like just like Cowbell, we need more healthcare, and so I'm going to give you a, a, a healthcare pick today, a stock that I like in the healthcare space, and uh, and hopefully our listeners will will uh, like it as well. But it's a stock that I've followed for a really long time. Um, yet it's it, I, it still seems to me it's under many radars, um, and it's a company called Massimo, and the ticker is M A S I. And just for a little context, this is a business that I've actually first bought. For our real money portfolio initiative here at, at the Motley Fool back in 2011, we had a we had a, a real money portfolio initiative we ran uh, called Rising Stars, a little bit different than the services we provide now. But this was something where we individually had an opportunity to run a real money portfolio that was public facing. And Massimo was a company that I uh, founded, researched, I liked, and, and and added to that portfolio. The stock is up around 800 percent uh, since then, um, and and so you know we like to add to our winners. Uh, this is a stock I own myself. And I, and I think this is going to be one that is poised to continue to win for a lot of reasons. Uh, but, but Mastimo, first and foremost, what this company does, is a medical device company, uh, for those who don't know, their, uh, their expertise is in pulse oximetry. And that's a fancy way of saying that they came up with technology to measure the arterial oxygen in the blood and the pulse rate of patients so ultimately when you go into the hospital they need to keep track of your arterial oxygen in the blood and your pulse rate low oxygen levels in the blood obviously that's that's not good uh, that can result in brain damage death uh, so so they really needed technology uh, to, to be able to, to do that effectively in most, uh, technology up to the point of Massimo was was more invasive and not very accurate, but they came up with this signal extraction technology, SET technology, that has uh, really changed the game in pulse oximetry over the last several years, and so. Uh, much like Workday, this is a business that has uh, founders still at the helm. There is Joe Chiani, the CEO of the company, the founder of the company. Uh, he still owns about seven percent of the shares today, but he is a very innovative founder. I mean, he he basically built this business and this whole idea in his garage, uh, and and just was able to grow it from there. Um, and and so certainly leadership is one reason why I love it. Uh, but I also like their their business model. You know, we talk sometimes about those uh, razor and blade business models. And uh, Massimo is, is is one such business where they they get that equipment into the hospitals, uh, and then they sell the consumables, right, the, the disposables that are required uh, to 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 help that equipment ultimately function and be useful. Uh, so they make their money from the equipment and the consumables. Those consumables are pretty high margin. Um, and and then you know finally, I think the reason why this is poised to do well for 2021 and beyond is. You know we hear a lot of talk about the Internet of Things. You've, you've heard that term before I assume right the Internet of Things. IOT? Yeah. IOT. Well, have you ever heard of IOMT? The Internet of Medical Things. Precisely. The Internet of Medical Things. It's really a thing, people. I'm actually not making this up. It's really a thing if you've not heard of it. Uh, but, but the IOMT, the Internet of Medical Things, it's, it's essentially connected infrastructure of medical devices and software applications, health systems and services. And so Massimo, as, as I said, this is a very innovative company, something that they've been working on here that they've now brought to market. And COVID, uh, you know, one of, one of the, one of the sort of Nice things that that's come from this is that it's really proven the utility, the safety net product that they've offered, and it's it's this product that basically helps them provide remote care for patients. And now, ultimately, it's, it's really served them well for for COVID nineteen patients. Uh, but but ultimately, it is for patients with chronic conditions. I mean, anything from COPD or or heart disease like CHF there, uh, congestive heart failure, I mean, all sorts of different chronic uh, problems. I mean, this is what this safety net uh, system was built for. And as we continue on here through 2021 and beyond, as 5G rolls out, as connectivity proliferates, uh, I think we're going to see them really realize a lot of value from the safety net. And, and, and it's definitely been a very big point of focus for them over the last several quarters. They've been talking a lot about it in the calls. Uh, and so I, th- I think that you know, you've know you got a very innovative company here with a leader who's been there from the start. And they're continuing to play into, I think, what is a very big trend in, in telemedicine and the internet of medical things and whatnot. So uh, all, all things put together there. It, Massimo just seems like a business that continues to win—it's profitable. They make healthy cash. They—they they continue to innovate, and uh, it, it's still kind of a small company in the context of things right now. I think somewhere around a $16 billion market cap. Um, again, it was—it was much smaller not all that long ago. But but the reason why it continues to grow is because the business just continues to do really well. Uh, so I, I think that this is one that investors should certainly have at the top of their list for 2021.
0: So, Jason, I'm, I'm looking at this one. They've got a, a very healthy cash position on the balance sheet. Uh, yeah. They've got high margins in excess of 20% on the operating side. Uh, they're growing nicely. Um, what's what, what, what should we be worried about here?
1: Uh, so, I, I mean, I think two things that really come to mind for me whenever I, whenever I see a business like this, these medical device companies, because basically, one is on the compensation side. Like the hospitals are buying their equipment. Um, and, and ultimately, they're going to be subject to uh, that payer risk, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid or uh, the, the big private insurers like United Health Group. I mean, ultimately insurers, public or private hold some of the cards here. And so reimbursements, Can be a question mark now. I mean, I I don't worry as much about that based on the track record thus far, the the technology, uh, the the need for this actual uh, service that they offer. Right. I mean, I think pulse oximetry is not really optional, Um, so so reimbursement has not been too much of an issue. But it's still something worth keeping an eye on because our health our healthcare system is uh, seemingly always in flux. Um, And and I mean, then the other one. I mean, this is a company that really is. its biggest strength beyond just its culture of innovation is really its its IP, its intellectual property. Everything that they've built to this point, that signal extraction technology, um, they've protected it. But as I mentioned, with that razor and blade model, um, they are subject to uh, knockoffs on the consumable side. Right, the sensors that they offer for their equipment—I mean, that's proprietary technology—but they have been victim to knockoffs in the past. Um, so that's always just something to keep in mind, and, and that is. Uh, you know, one of those things that probably will never go away. But I think they've done a pretty good job to this point of protecting their technology. So I think as long as, you know, as long as healthcare is a thing, and I think that is always going to be the case, and as long as this company continues to innovate, and I think they've they've shown that they are more than willing to continue doing that, um, I, I feel like those risks are are relatively minimal.
0: But but they're always going to be there. So that's the thing about us, Jason, is we're. We're, uh, we're like the human fund. We're betting on people. As long as there's people, there'll be healthcare. As long as there's employees, uh, you'll need to keep track. As long as big companies have people that are employed, you'll need some software for them. So it's you've like a human me, fund.
1: You've given me a great idea for my Christmas gifts for 2021. I'm going to put that in the old memory bank up there, Brendan. I appreciate that. Sounds good. <laughs> well, Brendan, I'm, I'll listen, be looking man. forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll get a card, you'll get a card in the mail. <laughs> Listen, man, this was really great. It's been a while. I'm really glad we're able to get back together on the show here and talk. Thanks so much for doing this. I mean, taking the time to dive into uh, a stock and present it to our listeners. I know they're going to love it. Um, really, it sounds like you're just doing a lot of great stuff there with Motley Fool Ventures as well. So uh, we're gonna need we're gonna need to make this a little bit more of a uh, a common a common meeting here this this year in 2021. Beyond just our top stocks, you know we, we need to we need to get you on the show here a little bit more often. So we'll make sure and do that. Thanks, Jason. Fool on. All right, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at mfindustryfocus, or feel free to drop us an email industryfocus at fool.com. Let us know your top stock of 2021. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks as always to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Brendan Matthews, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.